This is the record that God has given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. He who believes on him is not condemned, but he who believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Before we begin our study of God's word this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his guidance and direction on our time of study. Father, we're thankful that we have your word to enlighten our thinking. It is only through your word that we have the information we need to properly uh, understand, comprehend the issues of life, the details of life, and how we are to prioritize things in life that we might uh, live wisely and live well. Father, as we continue our study in Proverbs, we pray that we might continue to respond to the challenge to study your word, to know the truth, to buy the truth, and to sell it not. And Father, we pray that you might challenge us again today as we reflect upon the message in these Proverbs that we might uh, continue to apply uh, every principle, every piece of wisdom that we study to our inner life that it may uh, change our outer life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're studying in Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4. Excuse me, I said Romans, I meant Proverbs. I was slightly distracted because I thought I had changed this one thing and did not. So that should be Romans 4.20 to 27. Okay, now we've got that straight. Romans 4.20 to 27. Proverbs. Why do I have Romans on my mind this morning? I'll blame it on the decongestants. Has my brain foggy this morning. Okay, Uh, Proverbs, I almost did it again, Proverbs chapter 4. For this lesson, you will know that Romans just means Proverbs. Just uh, straighten that out. Proverbs chapter 4. What's interesting in this section, there are 13 imperative or imperatival forms in uh, in the Hebrew, which basically means that we have 13 action items, things to apply in terms of our uh, thinking, in terms of the actions in our life. As I've pointed out in the previous lessons, the opening nine chapters of Proverbs are the instructions of the father to the son, reinforcing the fact that it is the father primarily who has spiritual responsibility in the home for the spiritual training of children and for uh, bringing them up. This does not exclude the wife. This is not some sort of uh, uh, divine misogynism directed towards women, but that there is a an authority structure in the divine institution of the family, just as there is in marriage and in life itself, as well as in the nation, every area of life. Uh, the person designated to be in charge is not necessarily superior, does not necessarily have better skills uh, than the other person. They are just the one designated to have the responsibility and the leadership role. And in the family, that goes to the husband and the father. And too often today, we live in a society where it is fathers who think that they can fulfill that responsibility by delegating it to the wife. And that is a, a, a problem. It doesn't work that way, guys. Uh, your responsibility and the impact of you as the father, as the male leader in the home, uh, reading Bible stories to your kids, interacting with them about the Word of God, 
is incredibly important. They learn so much uh, that is just caught from you rather than what is uh, specifically taught. Whenever I think about this topic, I always go back to the first church I pastored, which was down in Lamarck, and there was a uh, lady in the church who came uh, very faithfully every every week and usually on Wednesday nights, and she usually brought her, uh, she had a four- or five-year-old son, and she would usually bring him, and one Sunday morning he refused to come. And he said, well, I'm growing up, and I don't need to come to church. His father never came to church. He said, church is only for women. It's not for men. And if I'm, I'm, go- I'm growing up to be a man, so I don't need to come to church. So that is the message that is taught when men are passive in terms of spiritual leadership in the home. Now, today we live, as I pointed out in previous lessons, in, in, in a in cultural environment where there are a lot of single moms. They have to do double duty. Uh, this doesn't mean that mom should, single moms should go out and find a man. Um, that's not the point of the message. Uh, we all have to start with where we are in terms of our place in life. Uh, very rarely are we all in an ideal situation. We have to start with whatever our circumstances are and move forward. But the important issue here is that spiritual training takes place in the home. Uh, there's an adjunct with what goes on in, in um, uh, prep school church, uh, same as with uh, public school or Christian school or how, however you are having your children educated. But the person who's responsible for educating children spiritually and in every other area of life is you, the parent. And some of you as grandparents are doing a lot of work uh, in addition in helping your children uh, rear their children. But it is your responsibility primarily to oversee that uh, education process. And so we see this pattern displayed in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. We've, we're down in the fourth chapter, which is the fifth lesson. This is divided up into a series of ten uh, lessons. Usually they begin with the admonition, starting with, My son, listen. My son, pay attention. My son, l- give your ear to this lesson. So we've looked at the fifth lesson in the first part of chapter four, the sixth lesson in the midsection of chapter four, and then uh, this morning, the warning uh, in the last part, again, swerving uh, from the right road. Uh, so, he, again, the emphasis on paying attention, which means more than just phys- the physical act of, of listening, but taking what is taught by the Father and implementing it in the life of the Son. Uh, the first verse reads, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. This is uh, parallel to just some of the other openings that we read. For example, in 4.1, uh, the command is, Hear, uh, my children, uh, the instruction of a father. In verse 10, again, hear, we may translate that, listen, uh, my son. And receive my sayings. In chapter 5, verse 1, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding. So each of these uh, opening verses reinforce the importance of hearing. Uh, A a book in the New Testament that is is often compared to James, I mean often compared to Proverbs, is the Epistle of James. And James, too, emphasizes the importance of hearing in the first chapter, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. There are certain parallels in James to the message uh, this morning. We're to be quick to hear. That is, we are to be ever ready to uh, study the Word, to take in the Word, and to implement it into our lives. The focus of hearing is not just listening but it is assimilating it into our life and doing that which is taught uh, in the lesson from the Scriptures. So we are to give attention to my words, the Father says. This is the Hebrew word kashav, which means to attend, to listen. It's almost a perfect synonym for the the, um, uh, word for uh, hearing. And uh, listening, so it has the same idea, just another another way of, of emphasizing it. His words are viewed as words from God because He is uh, communicating 
uh, the Word of God. He's not just giving his opinion, but he is expressing the teaching that comes from Torah, from the uh, Word of God in the Old Testament. And so we have a command here to uh, give attention. It's in the uh, what's co- referred to as the hifil stem in Hebrew, which is a causative stem, and it has the idea of cause yourself to to listen, to pay attention. And so it's addressed as an imperative to the volition of the individual. It is your decision to pay attention or not. It's your decision to arrange your time schedule so that you can uh, be at church on Sunday morning, to be in Bible class, to be able to uh, listen to uh, lessons from the Internet on a regular basis so that our minds are continuously being filled uh, with the teaching of the Word of God and we're reminded of God's grace and His faithfulness and all that He has provided for us and we're mi- reminded of how we should walk by means of God the Holy Spirit. This is important. It's so easy for the uh, pressures of life the details of life and the message of the world to take over because we're just bombarded with it over and over again every day. So it's important to take that time and we have to manage our time in such a way that that which has eternal significance uh, predominates in our life. In the synonymous parallelism of the second line, uh, the writer uses the phrase, the Hebrew word natah, which means to stretch out, to lean out. It indicates um, the idea of uh, yearn for something, desire it, make it a priority. The, the hifil stem, again, is causative, so, so it has that sense of, a, of a, um, this command to cause yourself to stretch out and to reach out uh, to gain the teaching of, of the Word of God. Uh, so extend your ear to my sayings. Again, we need to make the teaching of the Word of God, hearing it, listening to it, responding to it, obeying it, a priority in our life. And then there is a, a negative command in the next verse, verse 21, uh, emphasizing the same principle from the Uh, opposite vantage point, do not let them depart from your eyes. Do not let them depart from your eyes. So we see uh, a progression again, as we've seen so many times, to give attention or to listen and then to stretch forth your ear, indicating more involvement and then not letting it depart from your eyes. And the eyes is another metonymy because with the uh, it's a figure of speech where uh, one part is is, made, is is stated for its result. For example, with the eyes we see things, information, knowledge enters into our uh, minds, enters into our soul, and so eyes is put for the information that comes in uh, through our eyes as we learn and as we uh, as we study. This is often the case in. Um, uh, in scripture. Now the verb here is a, uh, is, it's, it's in the, it's not in the, uh, it's a hifil again, it's a, not an imperative, but it has that imperative force, it's called a jessive. Every now and then I get, I, I don't always go through all the details of the grammar that I put in the box on the screen, but in Hebrew you have um, a first person type command, which is let us do something. And you have a third-person type command, which is translated, let them do something. Uh, we don't have that, those forms in English, and so they're referred to as the, the first person is referred to as a cohortative, and the third person is referred to as adjustive. But these are imperatival forms without being an imperatival mood. Um, so don't let them uh, depart from your eyes. Now, this, met, this uh, metonymy... Of uh, the part for our, the part or the part for its effect, the, as we also see in Ephesians one eighteen, where Paul prays that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. And the eyes, are, the term eyes, as a metaf- uh, metaphors or a figure of speech, is often used to emphasize the enlightenment of our mind or our thinking. 
So here, uh, the father is saying, don't forget these things. Don't let them depart from your, from your eye. You have studied. You have learned. It's entered into your mind. Uh, don't let it escape. Don't let it depart. Don't, um, don't forget these things. And it emphasizes the fact that learning the word of God demands a constant seeking, a constant study. Don't forget, keep studying, keep these things before you, keep stretching out your ears to listen. And then we are commanded in the second line to keep them in the midst of your heart. Don't let them depart is the is stated in a negative, but it is a synonym for the idea of keeping. And here we have the uh, Hebrew word shamar, meaning to keep watch over something, to preserve it. It's often used for the responsibility of guards on guard duty or guards at a jail or a prison to watch over and uh, preserve, protect that idea. So we are to watch over the Word of God as it is entered into our heart to preserve it, to maintain it, and to apply it. Uh, we'll see in uh, a couple of verses another form of this word. We've seen it many times. It's the same word that's used in the uh, opening command in Genesis chapter 2 as God has created Adam and he tells him, places him in the garden and he tells him to uh, watch over uh, the garden or to guard it. It's that same idea. Uh, it is to protect, preserve something. So we are to keep the word in the midst of our heart. And the word heart is a term here for our uh, inner life, the immaterial part of man. It covers, uh, primarily it has the idea of the mind, but sometimes it can refer to the emotion, and sometimes it just refers to that inner part the inner life of a human being, our, our spiritual life. So we are to guard this in the midst of our heart. Uh, the very core of our, of our life is the thinking in our soul. And so we are to guard and protect it and make sure that is the dominant feature in our, in our life. And then in the, <clears throat> in the next verse, we're given a motivation as to why we should do this. This is indicated by the first word. The word for introduces an explanation. Why should we keep it? Why should we guard it? Why should we uh, emphasize the, the word and pay attention to it and stretch out our ear to it and not let it depart from our eyes? There's a, a, an important reason. They are life to those who find them. These words from the Word of God are the words of life. They give us life. They teach us how to live. Now, in the Bible, there are various different kinds of life that are mentioned. And so we always have to distinguish what is meant by life, just as we do when we run across the word death. There are different kinds of death as well. The first kind of life is biological life or physical life. This is in contrast to physical death, speaking of someone as being alive. For example, when when uh, Jesus uh, rose from the dead, the resurrection, he they said, behold, he is alive. So this is a reference to physical uh, physical life. Again, same thing with, with Lazarus with uh, Dorcas as she was raised from her back to life from by Peter from her sickbed uh, she was alive so she was restored to life this is a term for physical life uh, second it's used figuratively of someone who has departed uh, they've been gone they're not expected to return and then their return takes place and it is if they have come to life this is uh, used this way in Luke 15:24, when the father of the prodigal son rejoices at his return and says, this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. So it's used in this sort of figurative sense for one who's, who has returned uh, into someone else's life when they thought they would never see them again. Third, it's used for our spiritual life as opposed to being spiritually dead. Scripture teaches that all of us were born dead in our trespasses and sins. We're physically alive, but we are spiritually dead. There's no relationship with God. 
uh, we're under the uh, condemnation of sin because of Adam's original sin. And so apart from some change, we are destined for eternal condemnation. But the Bible says that uh, God has provided a solution for that, which is in Jesus Christ. And so when we trust in Jesus Christ, we get a new life. This is referred to in passages such as Ephesians 2, five, which says, even though we were dead in trespasses, referring to being born dead in our uh, being phys- uh, physically alive but spiritually dead, even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ, talking about what we refer to as regeneration or being born again. When a person trusts in Christ, at that instant God creates and imparts to them a new human spirit, a new uh, aspect of their immaterial part that joins with their soul that gives them now the capacity to have a relationship with God. And so this is that new life in Christ. It is a life that cannot be lost, a life that is eternal, so it is also referred to as uh, eternal life or everlasting life, as in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only uh, unique son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is that spiritual life that comes at regeneration. But the term life has a different meaning, a fuller meaning that is not limited to life without end or this uh, quantity of new life that comes uh, at the instant of faith in Christ, but it is a fullness of life, a richness of life, a capacity for life that goes beyond anything that we could have or or uh, appreciate when we're spiritually dead. This is what Jesus referred to in John 10.10. He said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life. That's eternal life, the first category I talked about just a minute ago in terms of eternal life but that they may have it more abundantly. That's the, quant- uh, the quality of the life. So eternal life, the phrase eternal life, can have one of two dimensions to it. It can have a, a, temp- a, a, a quantity dimension in terms of never-ending life, and it can have a quality dimension, which is the fullness of life or the abundance of life. And so as a believer, and when we're born again, when we're regenerate, we have eternal life, life without end. But as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, then we develop a capacity for life and a richness and a fullness of life, which is what this is is speaking about. And that is how the writer of Proverbs often uses the word life, that as we take in the word of God and assimilate it and make it a part of our thinking, then it is life to those who uh, find it. And it is health to all their flesh. It gives a fullness of life to us, and we are able to uh, experience the riches and the blessings that God has given us, no matter what our circumstances may be. Too often we think that our circumstances somehow define our life, and in some ways they do, but that our circumstances are not the source of our happiness. They're not the source of our fulfillment. Uh, We can have great happiness despite the fact that there is uh, maybe occasion for sorrow in our life. We can have great happiness and stability even though we live in chaotic uh, uncertain circumstances, we can have a life of inner peace and tranquility and contentment, even though everything around us seems to be falling apart. And that is part of the gospel, the good news that uh, related to our salvation. We have the same kind of happiness that we can share with God because of our uh, walk with him, but that only comes as a result of our day-to-day study of God's word, taking it in, assimilating it into our life and, and, and thinking so that our constant responses to the uh, circumstances of life are based upon God's word. As we look at this verse, <clears throat> for their life to those who find it and health 
to all their flesh. Uh, also reminds me of a, another verse in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, which says bodily exercise profits a little. doesn't say it's not important, okay? It pro- relatively speaking, physical discipline has a role, but it is not as important, not as significant as your spiritual life. That's the phrase godliness. It comes from a Greek word, uh, eusebeia. Sometimes it's translated piety. Sometimes it's translated uh, godliness. These are words that are, I find, a little bit vague and ambiguous for a lot of people today. In Old English, when you have that L-Y, it indicates a comparative, so it would be God-likeness. And if we think about godliness as being God-likeness, then it is developing that uh, character that is built in us, that is spoken of in Romans 8.30 as being conformed to the image of Christ. It is our spiritual life. So if you just think of, when you read that word godliness, just think of it in terms of spirit, growing to spiritual maturity, that, that is, that's the thrust or significance of that word. And so the things that we focus on in this life, uh, these are important things, our work, our taking care of our families, uh, education, our, all of these things are important, but they, their profit is only of temporary value, that one day we are going to be taken to be with the Lord and none of these things are going to go with us. How many uh, degrees we have, how many awards we've won, how much money we've made, how uh, how many houses, or how much property we have, none of these things are going to matter. The only thing that goes with us when we transfer from this life into heaven is the maturity that we've developed in this life on the basis of our walk uh, with the Lord by means of God the Holy Spirit. So Paul says bodily exercise profits a little but godliness or growth towards spiritual maturity is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is. It's profitable for day-to-day life today and of that which is to come. So a study of the word, your spiritual growth today is profitable not only for today, but it's profitable uh, for eternity as well. Then uh, the Father goes on to say, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. This is one of those verses that's uh, a good verse to memorize, commit to memory, to remind yourself of that we are to keep or to guard our heart. That is the uh, inner part of our life, our spiritual life, our thinking we are to guard. This is the word Natsar in Hebrew. It's a parallel to Shamar. We just talked about Shamar just uh, uh, in verse 21. Uh, keep them in the midst of your, your heart. So we're to keep this, the uh, Proverbs, the teachings of the Father in the midst of our heart, to guard it in the midst of our heart. And here we're using uh, a, a almost one-to-one uh, synonym, Natsar, to keep our heart now with all diligence. Now it's, an, it's a little bit of an awkward idiom to translate uh, from Hebrew over into English, but the writer makes a point that we see when, when we look at this in the, in the Hebrew, for the word for diligence is a noun form based on the verb shamar. It's mishmar. So the writer, by using these, uh, these synonyms and, and parallel words, uh, really emphasizes, sort of puts in bold face what he is saying, that keeping keeping your heart with all diligence. Uh, diligence has the idea of a guard, a guard post, watching diligently over something. Uh, and so it comes to mean with all effort, with all uh, all of your focus and all of your concentration. So we're to watch or guard our heart so that nothing that we learn from the Word of God escapes, that it's not forgotten, and that we continue to build into our our soul the spiritual resources that we need in order to go forward and to grow and mature in the spiritual life. We are to guard our heart diligently. Why? 
because from it are the things of life. Now, the, uh, a lot of uh, English translations will translate it the issues of life. There are some that translate it the sources of life because all we have in the Hebrew is out of it come forth life. Out of it come forth life. In other words, everything that we do has its origin in our thinking. It has its origin in our mental attitude. It has its origin in our focus. Everything that we do, our priorities, our activities, our values, everything comes out of our out of our soul, out of the thinking in our soul, out of our belief system. And so this is why we are to watch it diligently because once we begin to let uh, human viewpoint and the world's thinking infiltrate our value system, infiltrate our priorities, infiltrate our opinions, then uh, it begins to erode this fortification that we build in our soul uh, through the study of God's Word that protects us from all of the dangers and all of the problems of life. So we are to keep our heart with all uh, all diligence. This word uh, mishmar also is a word that emphasizes uh, personal uh, discipline and the importance of paying attention to every aspect of one's life and actions. It's used in uh, uh, Psalm 39.2, I will heed my ways. It's also used in Proverbs 13.3 of guarding uh, the lips, which is where the next verse takes us. We begin by keeping a guard on the thought systems of our mind, watching over what we think about, watching over our uh, our value systems and, and everything going on inside of our soul, and then it works itself out in terms of, of our mouth. Uh, and so we have a warning about what we say, the warning against the sins of the tongue. Sins of the tongue involve a whole range of different things from lying to uh, slandering other people to gossip. Today we have uh, new forms of slander and gossip and libel, what I call I gossip, I slander, and um, I libel. Uh, and on the Internet, passing along emails that we don't validate, that we don't pay attention to, we don't check out. I've gotten some friends I've challenged so many times to verify what you just sent me that uh, they no longer send me anything. They send it to other people, but they don't send it to me anymore because they get tired of me asking them to validate it. Uh, this happens for, on all kinds of things. People just see something, they, uh, they like it, they agree with it, they think, well... Uh, that fits with my view, and so they pass it on to everybody and without ever checking out whether it's actually true or not. And so there's a lot of character assassination, especially of politicians, that takes place uh, on the Internet. Trust me, most politicians have enough in truth to uh, criticize them for without making stuff up. And if you start making stuff up, then pretty soon even the stuff that's true, people don't pay attention to anymore. So we're commanded in uh, Proverbs 4.24 to put away from us a deceitful mouth. Put away from us a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far away. So not only are we to change the inner life and and our inner thinking, but this is also going to impact what we do with our with our physical body and controlling of our mouth and controlling of other actions, our, specifically in this passage, the mouth and the eyes. So it's not enough just to uh, control our mind. We also have to control our mouth, control uh, the tongue. <clears throat> One writer has said, superficial habits of talk react on the mind. It's an important thing to, to recognize that what we say often has a boomerang effect on what we think. Superficial habits of talk react on the mind so that cynical chatter, fashionable grumbles, I like that phrase, fashionable grumbles, flippancy, half-truths barely meant in the first place, harden into well-established habits of thought. We have to guard what comes out of our mouth. 
So this first command is from the Hebrew word sur, which will show up again in verse 27 uh, under the category of removing your foot from evil. That's how it's translated there. And so that's really the idea here, not so much put away uh, a deceitful mouth, but remove it, uh, keep it far from you, remove it from you. That's the uh, normal meaning uh, of the phrase. And so this should have no uh, part in one's life is to have a deceitful uh, deceitful mouth or a uh, literally a crooked mouth. And this is a refers to a mouth that distorts the truth or uh, dissembles it, deforms it, so that it is not uh, exactly accurate. So we are to uh, put that away or remove it completely uh, from us. And then the second line, we are to uh, put away rachach uh, in the Hebrew to put away perverse lips. These are lips that are saying the opposite of something. That's the idea of the word perverse, that which does the opposite of what it should do, departing completely from that which is right and true. So we see a progression in the idea from uh, removing uh, removing a deceitful mouth to completely uh, putting away the to a, a far distance, a remote distance, uh, perverse lips. There's a lot that is said in the book of Proverbs about uh, the sins of the tongue and being watchful over one's mouth. For example, in Proverbs 8.13 we read, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. So this is what God is articulating, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. In Proverbs 10, there are several proverbs related to the the uh, mouth and the sins of the tongue. Proverbs 10.6 says, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. In contrast to the mouth of the wicked, the mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. In Proverbs 10, 31 and 32, we read, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. The mouth is a source of good as well as a source of evil. If you let your mind dwell upon that which is uh, based on human viewpoint, you let your, your mind be dominated by the sin nature, then that which comes out of the mouth is that which is destructive, that which is deceptive, and that which is perverse. But if you let your mind dwell upon the Word of God, dwell upon truth, think within a divine viewpoint framework, then that which comes forth from the mouth is wisdom and is acceptable. Uh, another uh, important proverb in Proverbs 18, 6, and 7. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. He's quick to violence, following up on the idea earlier that violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Proverbs eighteen seven: A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The same emphasis on the tongue is picked up by James in an entire midsection of the book of James. So hold your place here in Proverbs 3, and let's turn to the New Testament, to the epistle of James. James is sandwiched between Hebrews and 1 John. Um, excuse me, Hebrews and 1 Peter. Hebrews and 1 Peter. In James chapter 3, James is a one of my favorite books to teach, and the theme of James is, is uh, laid out very clearly that we're to be uh, <clears throat> quick to hear, in verse 19, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Uh, the first chapter and part of the second chapter focuses on the importance of being quick to hear, that is, uh, being ready to study, learn the Word of God. Chapter 3 focuses on being slow to speak, and there is a warning here in the first 12 verses related to the sins of the tongue. And it begins in verse 1, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall re receive a stricter judgment. That is, uh, notice that uh, those who teach are usually very verbal, 
And so it's easy for them to uh, slip beyond teaching to uh, opining uh, too readily on things and become accountable for that. Uh, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we, receive, we shall receive a stricter judgment. Then he goes from teaching to the broader universal principle of controlling the tongue. And he explains this in verse 2, For we all stumble in many things. Stumbling is a reference to sin. We all sin in, uh, in many ways. And then he focuses on one particular category of sin, that is, sins of the tongue. He says, if anyone does not stumble in word, in other words, if you don't commit sins of the tongue, then you are a mature person, a mature man, spiritually mature, because you're able, if you can control the tongue, you, if you have discipline and self-mastery over your mouth, then you can master other areas of life, because the most difficult area in life to master is the mouth. And then he gives three examples of how a small thing like a tongue uh, can control and influence large things. The first illustration is a bit in the mouth of a horse, and so you have a small piece of metal, and as you exert pressure upon that metal on the tender mouth of a horse, you can direct that that horse to go one way or another and control the horse. So the the illustration is of of something small that exerts a, a an influence far beyond its size to something much much larger and much more significant. So he talks about the bit in the mouth of a horse or a rudder of a large ship. A rudder is not very large, but it is able to turn and direct a large vessel upon the water. In the same way, a tongue can have a great influence far beyond its size. And then the third illustration is that of a, of a small fire. Uh, <clears throat> at the end of verse 5, he says, See how great a forest fire a little fire kindles. You can have a small fire and just a match can, uh, can ignite a flame that burns uh, hundreds of thousands of acres. And so he then moves from that in verse 6 and says, And the tongue is a fire. It sets things on fire. It develops conflicts between people and destroys reputations. It is a world of iniquity. He says, The tongue is so set among our members. This is in verse 6. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. So what comes out of the mouth? causes you to get out of fellowship. And so now your whole life is out of fellowship and you're walking according to the sin nature. The the tongue defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire uh, by hell. He's just using very dramatic language here to emphasize the destructive nature of tongue as it follows the the, uh, sins of... uh, initiated by the arrogance uh, from Satan who lives in, who, whose destiny is in the lake of fire. Verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed. Man can tame all manner of animals, yet he can't tame his own uh, mouth. It's unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Notice all of the different uh, horrific metaphors that he uses. He says, And with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. We have been made in the likeness of God. So from our mouth we can do good things, and we can teach the word, and we can say wonderful things and bless people, but at the same time, if we yield to our sin nature, then we're out of fellowship, and we can destroy people, destroy reputations, and cause great uh, great conflicts. And so the warning of James chapter 3 is to control the tongue. All right, let's go back to our passage in Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 25, we move from the, from the mouth, controlling the mouth, to controlling the eyes, what we're paying attention to, what we're focusing on, what we're allowing to come into our soul and to dominate our soul. And so the command here is to let your eyes look straight ahead. He's assuming the the, the, the son is on the straight path that he has uh, been t- uh, commanding him to follow in the previous sections. 
where he has said, I've taught you in the way of wisdom in verse 11. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, let not your steps be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. So the idea is to follow the right path. So let your eyes stay on the path. Let your eyes look straight ahead. This is the Hebrew word navat. It's uh, used as an imperatival force to set your eyes on something. It has to do with uh, letting your eyes perceive, focus, and uh, be influenced by something, letting your eyes look straight ahead, focus on the, the road, the right road ahead, and not to uh, deviate from the right path. And then in the second line, he says, and your eyelids, again, parallel, uh, synonymous parallelism to your eyes, let your eyelids look right before you. Literally, it reads in the Hebrew, let your eyelids be straight before you. The, the <clears throat> imperative here is to uh, maintain uh, your, the right course for your foot. See, he's going to move from uh, the heart in verse 23 to the mouth in verse 24 to the eyes in verse 25 to the path of the feet in verse uh, tw- verses 26 and 27. So the eyes are to keep straight ahead, so the mind is to keep focused on the path that God has set before us. The eyes are the source of much danger because it is with the eyes that we see things that uh, influence us, we read things that influence us, and in fact, in 1 John 2.16, we're told that uh, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is through the eyes that we see things that tempt us, influence us to go off the path and to seek happiness and stability somewhere other than on the basis of the truth of God's word. Uh, eyes are the source of sexual lust. Second Peter 2.14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable uh, souls. So this is a description of these false teachers in Second Peter 2, whose um, focus is on sexual sin and sexual uh, immorality. And then we come to the last two verses, verses 26 and 27, beginning, ponder the path of your feet. Ponder is a rather archaic English word. Uh, this is a Hebrew word, philos, which has the idea uh, literally of digging through something, and it's used figuratively to refer to investigating something, uh, studying it deeply, studying it profoundly, uh, to investigate, to study, to uh, learn, examine the path of your feet, staying upon the right path. And and as a result, uh, letting all your ways be established. And the word there for being established indicates that something establishes them, and this is the uh, the Lord who establishes our way, as seen in verses like Proverbs 16.3. Uh, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. It will be given a solid foundation. Uh, uh, Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord literally establishes, it's the same word in the Hebrew, establishes his steps. So we commit our way to the Lord, and the Lord is the one who establishes our way. Uh, verse 26, Ponder the path of your feet, and let all... All of your ways be established or that foundation of your ways will be established by God is the, is the uh, implication. And then the final command, do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your steps forward, focusing on the way of wisdom and the path of righteousness. Do not turn to the right or to the left and remove your foot from evil. And here he uses two different verbs that have been used previously uh, nata for stretching out, just as we read in verse uh, uh, verse 20, to stretch out your ear. This is the same idea. Do not stretch out to the right or to the left. You should be stretching out your ear to hear the words of the Father, but do not stretch out your way to the right or the left. And then second, remove your foot from evil. This is the idea of turning aside, which is the same word that was used in terms of put away from you a deceitful mouth. Remove your foot from evil. So it's up to you. Again and again we see in the Proverbs that it is your decision. 
What kind of life do you want to have? Your life is determined by the decisions that you make. We all make decisions every single day, and our lives are the accumulation of the results of those decisions we make every day. Are we going to decide to stay on the right path, or are we going to um, get off the path and wander into the wrong direction? It's our decision. The challenge is that we have to develop a mental focus and a mental concentration to keep our eyes on the right path and not be distracted and to not deviate. We need to keep the Word of God uh, the number one priority in our life. Pay attention to His words and incline our ear to the sayings and the teachings of God's Word. And that comes down to priorities. What are your values? What are your priorities? That's determined by your choices. Your life is going to be what you make of it and what you have to take with you into eternity is determined by the decisions you make and I make every single day with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to study these things today, to be reminded of, of the fact that we're responsible for the course of our life. Uh, we're responsible for the decisions we make, for the values we choose, for the priorities we uh, implement. Father, we pray that we might keep our focus upon you, knowing that you have given us a new life, and this new life demands nourishment. This new life demands uh, training. It's built upon discipline, not a discipline that's generated by our own efforts, but a life, but a, but a, a self-mastery that is generated through God the Holy Spirit as we walk with him day by day. Father, we pray that as we continue this study, we might be responsive to this challenge to uh, always keep your word a priority in our life. Father, above all, we pray that if there's anyone here, anyone listening that has never trusted in Christ as Savior, that they take this opportunity to do so. Uh, Scripture says that the problem that we all have is sin. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the only solution is accepting your free gift. It's not something we earn. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we can purchase. It is something that we simply accept. We believe it. Scripture is very clear. All that we have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will be saved. Now, Father, we pray that you would challenge us with what we study today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.